So welcome to a new series, um, or slash water tester, I'm just testing the waters with this now. Um, I'm going to call it the Fumotomy Seminar, a kind of um, Oscar Pundit's round table of the audio variety. Um, so I've invited some film folk to join me today so we can have a chat. Uh, I'll introduce them right now. We've got uh, Thelma Adams, who is the uh, film critic and author as well. Uh, Last Woman Standing, she's got a brand new book, which you all should read, Bittersweet Brooklyn. So hello, Thelma. Welcome. Thank you very much. Glad to be a part of this circle. Excellent. Uh, so I've also joined by Nathaniel Rogers, who is the founder and editor of the Film Experience, a great website. So it's nice to finally meet you, Nathaniel, as well. Uh, meet you uh, by voice, yes. <laughs> yes, by voice. <laughs> um, also joined by Tom Beasley, as uh, a freelance film journalist, is wrote for the uh, The Guardian, uh, Flickering Myth. Uh, so welcome, Tom. Hello, lovely to be here. And last but not least, a good friend of mine, Paddy Mulholland, film writer uh, for sites like Awards Daily. He also runs his own site, Screen on Screen. And you will also find him at my very own site, Filmotomy. Hello, Paddy. Hey. Awesome. Focusing on the Oscars then, um, what were your sort of earliest, it could be bad, it can be good, start with you, Thelma, an early Oscar memory for you? Uh, or do you want an early Oscar memory of specific movies? Yeah. I remember, actually, I remember the experience because I watched it kind of in the Bob Hope, Johnny Carson era. So I remember when the Oscars for TV was a big experience that everybody in the family sat down. You had three channels and you had someone like Bob Hope or Johnny Carson, who was your host to this super glamorous night to which you didn't have access the way that we have access now 24-7 to every kind of backdoor thing about the stars. I think that we're in a huge, and I think Nathaniel would agree with me on this, a huge moment of change. So even be, even within the Academy, they're, every year they're molting and changing at this point, which they didn't do for years. So the the people who are involved in the Academy now are all of these interesting directors, programmers, PR people, and that that's changed the experience. So it really is a living organism that's changing even at this moment. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Nathaniel, do you have any uh, sort of early Oscar memories that resonated with you that perhaps, you know, t- brought you into this field? I mean, I... I didn't really know what the Oscars were when I was a kid, um, because my family wasn't very much into movies, but the only time I ever heard about the Oscars was my parents complaining that Star Wars lost. (laughs) (laughs) So that was like the first inkling I had that the Oscars were this bad thing because they didn't recognize Star Wars. But anyway, um, I started watching the year Shirley MacLaine won Best Actress. And so that speech to me is like, the peak because it was when I fell in love with the Oscars and I still hold it up as the high mark of Oscar speeches. And I wonder why more people when they accept, don't actually think about giving a speech as opposed to a list of thank yous. Cause that's the whole show basically is people winning awards. So yeah, you should, she, you should be entertaining when you do that. She was not shy at saying like, I, I, I'm on this. Almost. Yeah, no, I yeah. deserve it. That was yeah. her closing line, which was awesome. <laughs> Finally. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, 
Tom, what was your sort of early Oscars? How did you get to it? Well, I sort of kind of, you know, like we've said previously, I came from a family that didn't really care too much about films and certainly didn't care about the Oscars. So I was sort of vaguely aware of them for a while until I think the first year I, I properly got into them was quite recently. It was the, the 2011 year when the King's Speech won everything, despite the fact that it was perhaps the strongest group of nominees in recent memory. Films like The Social Network and Inception and Toy Story 3 and Black Swan were all nominated that year. And yet the film that swept the board and won everything was the most middle-of-the-road drama film you could possibly imagine. And I think while that upset me, at the same time it sparked my fascination with the Oscars of how could a film that is so clearly not the best film of this list be so widely acclaimed and win so easily and i think from that point on i've i've been truly fascinated with the oscars in all of its madness and stupidity and i think that's why i'm i'm glued to it every year it's it really is like watching a car crash happen <laughs> and that's proof as well in britain obviously in britain we, we don't we didn't support that win i don't know if many people think that but um paddy any special memories for you in the oscars well, my first year paying attention to the Oscars, actually caring about it and following it was a really mundane year. It was your Million Dollar Baby one. So, I, I um, my first few years with the Oscars, I didn't even watch the show because uh, it wasn't. It's not such a big deal in the UK, yeah. and it's on really fucking late at night. <laughs> so, you know, I. Like, my mates might have had the channel that it was on, but I didn't watch it. Sometimes I stayed up and just refreshed pages online, like, on the old broadband, just to, like, see what had won. Like, I was staying up for hours just staring at a screen, hoping that I would find out some tiny morsel of information and doing this at, like, half five in the morning. Um, so I get lots kind of nostalgic for me, those, those memories. I still stay up. I watch all the big televised shows. I'm streaming them all. I, I remember staying up in my parents' kitchen, like they had a kitchen and a living space with a computer at the side and just refreshing on this old internet, just like joining in in awards daily where, where I hung out then um, on the comments. Uh, so that was my Oscar life for a long time. Um, these days, I guess, I just watch the show instead of commenting about it obsessively while it's on but uh yeah what's that now that's oh that's like almost a decade and a half that i've been paying attention to the oscars and it's been i guess pretty eventful um for the academy awards especially in recent years and i like that i like that it's in flux i like that it's changing so much as thelma said like it's so much more interesting than i think it was when i first started watching let's quickly touch on this year then I'm sure you're all up to date with what's happening. <laughs> I don't think any of us really know what's happening. But um, I, I'm really into the Dark Horses thing. I'm sick of talking about the same films all the time. But it is part of our, our, our business. What is? Do you have any sort of Dark Horse, anything that can genuinely get in? It can be any category, you know, that you believe could get in. For instance, it could be get, get in or win. I, I think the favourite can win Best Picture, and I'm going to write about that shortly. But... Is there anything you have that can be crazier than that that you think, you know, that is getting in? I would love to see Alitza Aparicio yeah. get a, at yeah. least get a Best Actress nomination. I think she it's an uphill battle 
because the actor's branch is so strong and she's considered um, relatively a non-actor. You know, this is her first major film. But that film is her. So yeah. th- uh, to me, that would be something that uh, that would make me very excited. I don't. I think that it's an odd best actress category this year, and that would be kind of kick-ass. Nathaniel, do you have one? Um, yeah, I think uh, I actually do think Yelitsa has a very good chance. But for my dark horse, that I think is a long shot, but I could see it happening, would be Paul Palakowski for Cold War in Best Director. I'd love that. I would love that. That is a long shot, but bold and good. Yeah, I just, I've just noticed that they, he, there's all these events lately in New York for him, and it just seems like the industry likes that movie a lot. So I could see that being a surprise nomination. I've read that elsewhere, and I keep thinking like that's the kind of that's the kind of attitude that gets those long shot contenders in. The more people talk about it, I think the more voters are inclined to say, okay, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I'll, 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 you know, maybe it's between him and someone else, or maybe I'm not too fussed about who I vote for. But okay, I, I'll give my vote to them if they if they stand a small chance. And then that's, I think, how we how, how we get those really surprising but really really satisfying nominees from time to time. So I'd be cool with. That. Well, I have a follow up question for you, Nathaniel. Mm-hmm. Uh, if Cold War, if Cold War rises and becomes the foreign language favorite. And there's a sense that Roma is going to win foreign language and therefore shouldn't win best picture. Is it possible that that given that dynamic, Roma will be shut out and rewarded only with Quorone getting best director? Um, that is a good question. Um, <laughs> because the, the further Roma rises in terms of best picture chances, and I do think it has a chance to win, um, would be the first foreign language film to win. Um, that it's an interesting question, but I I kind of think it's going to be all or nothing, <laughs> like yeah. three like foreign film picture and director or or just or not all or nothing because it's going to win something. It's definitely I think going to win best director. I think if you're betting, that's a pretty good place to yeah. put your bet. But I you know it, we can be surprised. Anybody? I'm sorry. Who else has the long shot? Uh, just before we go big Tommy, I'm just going to say with Amazon are really smart in promoting Cold War on a lot of the ads. It's the director. I don't know if you've seen. So it's a really it's a really shrewd pick actually because it looks like the they're trying to push the director to get him in. Um, uh, Tom, do you have a long shot? Yeah, I've got very much a head one and a heart one. Okay. My heart wants, with everything within it, for Paddington 2 to get some sort of recognition. <laughs> and I think Hugh, Hugh Grant sneaking into supporting actor would be absolutely perfect. In, in a category that isn't looking massively strong this year, mm-hmm. I think that um, there's there's room for a weird nomination there, and I'd love it to be Hugh Grant. Um my head one, though, and I think he does stand a chance of sneaking in, is Ethan Hawke for First Reformed in Best Actor, because that performance is is just remarkable. The film deserves a lot more kind of awards attention than it's had, 
Um, I, I thought it was really terrific, and it's one of the big kind of sadnesses of the awards season this year for me so far, is that there hasn't been a groundswell of support for Ethan Hawke, perhaps because it's not a showy performance. It's a very understated turn in a very understated film, but I think it deserves to be recognised more than it has been. Well, the critics are absolutely love him, and I think he's absolutely mm. dominated. And the Gothams yeah. gave him Best Actor. It almost feels like if there were six slots, he would yeah. definitely be in. He's not oh, I, that far beyond. I think he's in, personally. I do too, yeah. I, I think, think he's yeah. I think he's the passion pick and you have to have number yeah. ones. Yeah, and also I think just the goodwill that this film has built up, I mean it's been almost I think by the time the Oscars are out, it'll have been almost 18 months since that film premiered. And just the amount of time it's had to build up all this goodwill among all these people who've loved Paul Schrader for years and are now looking at arguably one of his his greatest achievements and saying, this guy's never been Oscar nominated. I think that voters will watch the movie. I think they will like the movie. And I think that they will vote for... Um, Ethan Hawke and for Paul Schrader I think it's being hurt by the fact that A24 has just not even bothered campaigning for any of its titles this year, I think it's hurting Hereditary, another one of its titles I don't think it's going to get any Oscar nominations I don't think it's great, another one of its titles is going to get any Oscar nominations I think it's really dropped the ball and I don't know why Um, Does anybody know why? say all of those will be strong at the independent spirits, the film independent spirits and also I would say first reformed, I'm going to separate it out from the A24 question which is not something I really have the back, I really know about but I would say religious projects have trouble at this time that Mm -hmm. people, that, that it's hard for people to circle around and embrace something that's about religious crisis in the same way that people had maybe Problems with Novitiate, which was a less accomplished film, but nonetheless was about a religious issue. Yeah, right. that's right. Um, I, I do have something to say about A24 briefly. <laughs> um, I, I think the key to why they've been w- weirdly quiet is that they don't have like a late-year release this year, which is unusual for them. Um, and I think once you're campaigning something that's in the moment that's just opened in theaters you tend to i think it tends to help all of your movies if you're a studio because while you're doing it you're just doing it Mm. i don't know if that makes sense but usually they have something that comes out in november and december and they don't this year yeah but on the the flip side of that those three films we mentioned are so popular you only need a tiny bit of nudging yeah, uh, and and you'd get yeah. you've got this, this well, three screenplays there, and you've got a couple of filmmakers, breakthrough filmmakers, and you've got the the, the actor in Ethan Hawke and Tony Collette, and Tony Tony Collette, who's I mean, amazing. Yeah, she's also the critics' darling as well. So, yeah. can I give my little uh, my my little hunch? Yes, Please. of course. Um, it's maybe not as exciting as the others. I, well, no, I kind of have two. One of them is <laughs> um, I look at animated feature and I think, watch out for early man. They, um, mm-hmm. yeah. they it, it ha- like like you said in the email, Rob, and you wanted something that maybe hasn't been discussed a lot, and I I don't see people discussing that. The animated feature category is really hard to predict now because last year they changed the rules, so it's no longer just the animators and short film branch voters deciding upon the nominees there, and they used to pick the most 
diverse, most like interesting, exciting group of nominees. Last year, they let regular Academy members from other branches vote if they wanted to, uh, and we got Ferdinand and the Boss Baby. So <laughs> it's, it's tough to say, but looking at that category, I think this year you've got four strong contenders that would be strong contenders in any other year. You've got Isle of Dogs, you've got Incredibles 2, you've got Ralph Bricks the Internet, you've got Spider-Man. The fifth Spider-Man is clearly the one that people yeah. are excited about at the yeah. end of the year. And it's surprised. I, it's surprised I, I, it'll win. I, I, I think it's got a fairly, fairly clear path to a win there because people are watching it, they're loving it at the minute. Um, but that fifth slot then... Ardman Animation tends to do quite well with this slot. They got the pirates in. That was a movie nobody saw. So, <laughs> I think yeah, they're they're beloved. Lo- they're huh. beloved by other animators. Yeah, so which, that which helps has always a lot. helped in the past. Whether or not the Academy entire will be able to get behind them in the same way, or maybe they'll just nominate the Grinch or some shit. But <laughs> I, 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 would say, I would say watch out for watch out for. Oops, I'm sorry. It's okay. No, go ahead. Um, I just, when I saw Isle of Dogs at Berlin last February, I thought in my own head, like, nothing can stop this movie in terms of animation. And it still is one of my favorite movies of the year. I think it really got sideswiped or swift-boated this year by the issue of cultural appropriation. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting also it becomes an example, even in the animation category, of how politics this year has played such a huge part in what's been nominated and what will win. Mm. Yeah, I still think, though, actually, if Spider-Man doesn't win, it could be Isle of Dogs. Looking at the critics um, and all the different critics awards coming out, there was a really, really strong show of support for Spider-Man kind of mid-December. It became like a strong frontrunner there, but in recent weeks, now that that's died down a little, it, Spider-Man's still, I think, probably your front runner there, but there's been a lot more support again for Isle of Dogs. I think it stands out from the other contenders there. It's as, probably going to jump into a couple of other categories, potentially, as well. Score, maybe. Score, yeah. Um, my other hunch, by the way, was I think a lot of people are overestimating Bohemian Rhapsody. Yes. The Academy's going to like it. I think it might get in the sound categories. I think Rami Malek might get in. I think it might get in for its costumes. But I don't think the Academy, which more than any other group, I think really thinks about the kind of film that it nominates, what it's achieving artistically and culturally and societally. I don't think that they're going to look at Bohemian Rhapsody and think, oh, yeah, that's the best picture of the year. I almost think there's maybe more of a chance that something like First Reformed actually inspires Academy voters in a way that Bohemian Rhapsody does not and is maybe more of a Golden Globe, PGA, SAP kind of thing and not an Oscar thing. I do think it has a chance, but there's a lot of people catastrophizing on Twitter being like, oh shit, it's going to get an Oscar nomination. And I think, calm down, it's probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Big red herring, yeah. That's my big I, 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 do, I do think that the... Nathaniel, just... Okay. The elephant in the room, and I'll I'll throw it to you. We have not mentioned A Star is Born once. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, but, but, I, but I do think... I do think it will win everything. 
I think it's going to win Best Picture. Yeah, I do as well. I think I was having a conversation with someone the other day. We were saying it's one of, you know, if so you take the PGA list that came out the other day, that would be one of the more, if that's the Best Picture list, that's one of the more interesting Best Picture lists in years. And yet the most obvious film is almost certainly going to win. Yeah, kind of like King's Speech. Exactly. It's almost Nathaniel, the same you thing. have something to say, please. Don't let me. I felt like I stepped <laughs> please, on you. Please and disagree I didn't with them, please. No, no, it's okay. Uh, I don't think A Star is Born is going to win. Me too. Because uh, I, I think the preferential ballot makes this uh, makes this where Roma has a good shot. Um, I, I personally love Star is Born. I love it, and I would be happy if it won, but... I just don't think it's going to, because I think it's going to be in the middle of a lot of people's rankings. Yeah, Like, people don't hate it, but d- does everybody, like, love it? You know? Um, I, I think enough people love it, and enough people like it. But I get your point with Roma, yeah. I, I hadn't thought about that, that it probably does stand to benefit a lot from, from the preference of ballot. Again, who could hate it? But I did want to say one thing about Bohemian Rhapsody. The PGA nomination really bothered me. I realized that they, um, you know, big hits are important to them because, you know, it's the producer's guild. But on the other hand, that production of that movie was kind of a disaster. Like, the box office was a surprise. They went through all this turmoil, like, you know, disappearance from set, three different directors, like... I was just surprised that they're saying this is one of the best produced movies of the year. Hmm. I'm not because they don't have taste. (laughs) (laughs) It just Um, seems like there was a lot of issues there. And when you maybe it wasn't the producer's fault, but it just seems like it would be the type of thing that would normally would have people not voting for you. Yeah, right. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe it's maybe it was an award for well done. You got through it. You got through it and somehow became it's a blockbuster. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Against all odds, one of the most right. successful movies of the year. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the big question, obviously, is not what's going to win Best Picture. It's who's going to host. So do you all quickly have your own kind of pick? Who, If you were in charge, who's hosting and why you pick them? I think it'd be interesting if Melissa McCarthy doesn't get the Best Actress nomination. God forbid, she should host. I think she'd be very funny. But anyway, over to you. But that would be awkward. If it's someone who's why, in kind that's of... That's why it's know... funny. Oh, that, okay. <laughs> All right, gotcha. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just say mine because I have to fly. Um, that's okay. I want to... You know, I love Tina and Amy. You know, I, I think that they could... That I just want it to be smooth, move fast. It's a really cold room. You know, there's so many people have so much on the line. They're, they pretend that they want to laugh, but it's an iffy night. And so I would say Tina and Amy. Fantastic. Nathaniel? Um, I, I'm not in charge of these things, and I would never be put in charge of these things, which is probably good. <laughs> because I would always choose someone that the Academy would never go for. But I love when movie stars host. Like, I love the year Hugh Jackman hosted. And I think a great host that they would never in a million years think of would be Emma Thompson. Yeah. She, she's super, super funny. She's fast on her feet and spontaneous. And she can be a glamorous movie star, but she also loves taking the piss out of glamour. Yes. Such as her whole awards run with Saving Mr. Banks, which did not pay off, oh, of course. But, 
But it didn't pay off, but she, the whole thing with her shoes, she was constantly being gifted and memed. Like, I I think she would be hilarious. That would be my pick. That's a great one. Yay! Bold pick! <laughs> Tom. Oh, I think Emma Thompson is an excellent show. Um, if it were down to me, someone posted this as a meme after the Kevin Hart debacle, and I took it completely seriously to heart. Um, but I want Paddington to host. I don't care. I don't care how they achieve it. They can do a hologram. They can do a man in a suit. They can do Ben Wishaw in a fancy dress shop mask and overcoat. I don't care. I want Paddington to host because, you know, in all of this, the complexity of finding someone who hasn't got something horrible in their past, who hasn't got tweets that can be brought up. Paddington is the most wholesome creation in the history of creations. So for the for the anti Kevin Hart choice, I think Paddington is as good as it gets. Mamelin sandwiches in the goodie bags as well. Oh yeah, how perfect would that be? <laughs> that is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Paddy. Uh, yeah, I want um, Angelica Houston in character as the Grand High Witch. Witches <laughs> <laughs> of Hollywood, you are disgrace. <laughs> <laughs> Either that or Sean Young and Sally Kirkland, and if the Academy, oh I've God. given, I've given them two choices, and if they can't do that, then why bother? Yeah.